Go ahead and grab your Bibles. This is our last week in the book of James, so maybe you're sad, maybe you're excited about that, I'm not sure. Um, next week we're going to uh, next week we're going to move to a five-week sermon series, just digesting what the gospel is. Um, I think there's a lot of talk about gospel, gospel-centeredness, gospel community, all of these things that we talk about regularly, but what do we mean by that? So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to digest together. I understand Easter's in there, Palm Sunday's in there. We're going to make it all fit together, and it's going to hopefully work, work well for us. We're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning. We're going to round out our time together. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. So James chapter 5, verses 12 through 20. We've been here for the entirety of 2017, uh, and it's been good. Um, I think there's a lot of things that I wish that we could have maybe uh delved into a little bit more in our time in James, but overall I believe that has been profitable for, for our body. So let's read this text together. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, we'll read through the end of the, the book. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone breaks him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So as we look at this text this morning, I think there's a bit of a temptation to look at it and to start to think maybe that James has changed his trajectory a little bit. That James has moved on a little bit from what he's talked about throughout the course of, of his time in his letter to the churches, to, to the Jewish churches that have been scattered out throughout the region. But I, but I submit to you this morning that he's not necessarily changing his trajectory, but offering maybe some positive examples of, of ways in which people can apply the things that he has been teaching so far. We'll talk about that. So as we look at this text, it's good to think about a big idea like we do every week, and it's good to think through, sort of, at the top of the list, the word prayer we see multiple times throughout here, and so this, this text in particular is centered around the idea of prayer. So, big idea time. James urges his readers to consider what he has written to them regarding their speech through the positive example of prayer. James urges his readers to consider what he has written to them regarding their speech through the positive example of prayer. And so in our time together, throughout, the, the, throughout, throughout our time in James, we've seen several instances where James is communicating to his readers that the tongue is a very powerful thing. And what flows out of your mouth, what comes out of your mouth, is a direct reflection of what's going on in your heart. So what you say, how you speak, is coming from inside your heart. What's going on in there. And so James sort of gives a lot of examples of, of negative speech throughout the course of his book. But at the same time now, he comes to the end and he, he gives us this positive way that we should be using our vocal cords. 
So, three things this morning. I know sometimes Mark goes at me for being a Baptist. That's okay. What I'm going to do is say to you right now that I'm going to give you a three-point sermon, which is Baptist through and through, whatever. Three points. Here we go. Three points. Thank you. Great. Here we go. Three points, right? Three things that I see that James is instructing his readers about prayer. Prayer is, first and foremost, positive speech. Prayer is positive speech. Secondly, prayer comes from the heart. It comes from a heart of dependency. Where do you stand? Why, why do you pray? You pray from a heart of dependency. And finally, prayer is for the church. We see all these things contained within this text, and we're going to flesh those out together. So, firstly, then, prayer is positive speech. Prayer is positive speech. Obviously, we could take a long time to talk about prayer. So what I'm going to do here is just limit it to what James says about prayer in particular. James doesn't give a lot of robust like instruction specifically on prayer until we get here. Um, but it, certainly, he mentions it throughout the book. Um, like I said earlier, there's sometimes a temptation here when we read this is to see James as changing trajectory, moving away from the things that he's talked about. But again, I submit to you, this is clearly in line with what James has talked about up until this book, this wisdom that he's imparting to his people. So our first point then, that prayer is positive speech, is a way of seeing this text, finds a situation within the context of the whole book of James. So a good way to think about it is use a kid illustration. Kid illustrations are great. They're low-hanging fruit for me. Here we go. So um, James is imparting wisdom. And the reason I use a lot of kid illustrations, I think, is because of the nature of this book. The way that it's written to people is, is wisdom literature. It's given to people. My job as a dad is to impart wisdom to my children, right? Part of my uh, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for there are a graceful garland around your head and pendants for your neck. So a lot of what James is writing, the posture that he's writing is as a spiritual father to his spiritual children saying, here's what you need to see. Here's what's important for you. Here's the way in which you should live. And so that's why I've used my kids frequently as, as examples. My, my, my job, impart wisdom to my children, let them know. So, so here it is. So when we get to this text, something that is important, when he says, especially in verse 13, when he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him. So when we get here, here here's, the, here's the idea. James is telling his readers that prayer is positive speech. And as a parent, when you tell your children, what not to do if you're a parent of young children or if you're a parent of grown-up children also. When you tell them what not to do, it's really important to reinforce positive action on the, on the back end, right? Just to say something like, um, don't eat food off the floor. This is an example from my week. Don't, don't eat food <laughs> off the floor is, is a negative command, right? It's saying, don't do that. What I need to do as a dad is then impart positive reinforcement, say, Eat food off your plate, right? That's where you eat food from. You eat it off your plate, not the floor. We eat food off our plate only, right? Or here's another example of my week. Don't jump on your bed. Beds are for sleeping and for rest time, right? The positive reinforcement of what that's intended to be. No, you can't watch TV. Let's play a game together. It's ineffective parenting to tell your kids what not to do and then leave it up to them to find an alternative activity that's acceptable. That's... That's, that's ineffective parenting. Okay, confession time. 
the TLC show, What Not to Wear. I love that show. It's a great show. Okay. Okay, so here, no shame. So uh, the show is based on the idea that people don't know how to dress themselves properly. This is the whole basis of the show. So they show somebody and they kind of like laugh and poke fun at them and whatever. It's, it's funny. But then they give them, then they tell them the things that they're doing incorrectly. And they give them this positive fashion advice. Oh, every episode is exactly the same. Right? And then and then they come to the end and then and then this person goes shopping and they start buying things and they start making all these mistakes and then they show up and they do this intervention for the second time and they and then at the end they're like, oh, and then there's this amazing transformation and it all works out in the end. Most of the time. Um, and the idea here is same for for, for James. He starts with this negative example of speech. Look at verse 12. This is another negative example of speech which he has given to us multiple times. We'll look at a list of these in a second. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you might not fall under condemnation. This is a negative example. He says, don't swear. Don't swear, not, not don't curse, but don't swear, don't, don't, make, a, don't make a statement about uh, something that you don't have any control over. It's sort of like the presumptive speech that we were talking about in chapter 4, right? Don't make a promise you can't keep. Your yes should be yes and your no should always be no. And so we've seen other examples here of, of negative speech throughout the course of our time together. He says in five numbers, you'll run through these. Chapter 5, verse 9, don't grumble against one another. In 4.13, we see presumptuous speech. The whole first half of chapter 3 is all about the tongue and the misuse of it. Chapter 2, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. He says you can't separate those. It's negative speech to say, I have faith, or you have faith and I have works. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, showing partiality and addressing the rich and the poor. Saying, come sit up front. Be, here's, the, here's, a, here's a chair for you that is uh, esteemed, is, is an example. And there are more examples of negative speech all throughout, littered throughout his letter. So this is all fine and well, but then James, what should, what should we be doing? What should we be saying, James? What, if, if these are the things that we should be doing, where's the positive Reinforcement. What are the things that, that should come out of our mouths? And James clearly just sums it up by saying, pray. What should we be doing in light of the understanding of negative examples of speech? He says, pray. Right? Look, verse 13. Anyone suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Praise. Are you sick? Call the elders to pray over you. So, prayer then is positive speech because it replaces this negative speech that we could potentially be engaging in. Right? So if it is, you come to a place and you don't know what to say, pray. It's as simple as that. Look at that first example then again in verse 13. Is any of you suffering? Let him pray. The thing is, don't get frustrated and take it on others. Don't grumble against one another. Don't say, like you said earlier in the book, don't say, God is tempting me. Instead, Pray. So this is kind of the setup, and this is the movement that James wants to move his readers. He's like, here you go, this is how you should be using your vocal cords uh, when you're tempted to do something out of your suffering, out of your joy that isn't, isn't God-honoring, here you go, pray. So it moves us then to our second spot here. Prayer comes from a heart of dependency. So again, like I mentioned at the outset, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said that very clearly. 
And James actually gives this problematic heart place that prayer can generate from. There's actually problems where, where, where people can come to a spot and, and actually pray, but pray from a spot in their heart where it's not, where it's not quite correct. Look at verse 3 in chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So get the examples that James gives. Suffering, pray, but where's your heart at in that prayer? This is important. This is, this is, a, is your heart one of dependency or is it of something else? Is it self-focused or is it submitted to God's will for you? Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at uh, the 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and what Paul writes to the Corinthian church about his own personal problem with the thorn in the flesh, right? Let me read this for us again. So to keep me from being, this is Paul, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul prays for the removal of suffering. He even says that he prays for it three times. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But Paul happily submits to God's will in the situation, understanding that his weakness is the demonstration of strength. So looking at this, then, we were praying, like, God, remove this suffering from me, but then submitting yourself to God's will is, is the heart of dependency that that prayer needs to come from. And what he says in, in verse, uh, the, the second half of verse 13, is anyone cheerful... Let him sing praise, right? Let him sing praise. A heart of dependency sees that the things that we rejoice in here on earth are a shadow of things to come in eternity. A heart of dependency sees that the things that we rejoice in here on earth are a shadow of things to come in eternity. Okay, let me give you some examples, right? This is maintaining. This is why this, is, this text, this, this passage, when James runs out his letter, is so important because... It maintains focus on eternity. It maintains focus on eternity. So let me give you a couple of examples here. Man, this steak tastes delicious. You're like, I love steak. Steak tastes delicious. I love to consume steak, as much steak as I possibly can consume. Right? But a heart of dependency then says, we rejoice that we, we sing God's praise in, in the delicious nature of cow. We say, thank you, Lord, that I find temporary satisfaction. It is only temporary, but thank you, Lord, that I find temporary satisfaction in this delicious food. And then it points me to the eternal satisfaction that I have in Christ Jesus. That's positive speech coming out of flowing out of a heart of dependency. When your kids make you proud, right? Thank you, Lord, for my children that I can... Take delight in them. And that points me to you, my Heavenly Father, who takes delight in me. Or you find encouragement in the community. Thank you, Lord, for the work that set your church apart so that we might be encouraged in you. 
So we could do this all day. It's like everything in our world, like anything that is good that we rejoice in daily, should be immediately taken and transferred to the eternal shadow, or the, that it is a shadow that is pointing to something that will be fully realized in eternity. So are you cheerful? Praise. Are you sick? And he says, are you sick? Call the church leaders to come and pray over you. Um, here we have a call to make others, or to have others make intercession on our part, to pray on behalf of another, which is another complete form of dependency, right? We're saying it's not even our words that are going up, it's someone else's, it's the leaders in the congregation who are going to come and pray for us on our behalf. And we have this part too about anointing with oil, just a, a, a full-on recognition of dependency coming forth. Just as we were anointed with the Spirit in salvation, when our hearts were, were transformed and moved, reoriented from things of the world to the things of God, we come here and admit our dependency that this sickness is not going to go away because of anything that is contained in me. And don't get hung up on the oil part, right? We need to get the sentence structure here for us grammar dorks, right? He says, Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, right? This is saying, again, grammar people, that it's a, the, the anointing with oil is a subordinate clause. That, that means that it takes further explanation of the prayer that is taking place. It's further explanation of the prayer that is taking place. It's meant to be symbolic of God's healing power coming to the individual. It's an important thing to do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm saying we should absolutely do it. You should absolutely, if you are sick, if, if there is a, an ongoing illness in your world, you should, you should come to the leaders of the church and submit and out of a heart of dependency ask them to pray for you and to physically anoint you with oil. It's not the activity that contains the power, but the source of power is God. And I think this often, only though, uh, I, so as we're looking at this then, as we're maintaining this eternal perspective, right, I think a lot of this is thought about to be in the physical sense, but in some way, I believe that James is writing about spiritual sickness also. Like if we come to a place where our hearts are far from God, and we're wondering where God is in our world and how we can go about understanding and knowing and, 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 and we feel stagnant and gross. I think that this is for that instance as well. Not just a physical sense. I think he has the spiritual in mind here also. Look at verse 15 with me then. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, this is, this is first spiritual. This is first spiritual. We can't all of a sudden read James, his letter, with a temporary first. Eternal first, eternal first, eternal first, as we look at this text. When literally all of James' letter has been a plea for us to keep, the world, keep our world with eternity in mind, keep that focus on eternity, we can't come to this text and then start thinking about temporary first. So, the prayer of faith then, what is that? What is he saying? This is not a new concept that James is introducing. What has God promised? This is the question that we should be asking. What has God promised to us? Eternal life for those who trust Jesus. We pray with that in mind. Trust Jesus, your sin is taken care of, right? You are forgiven. Like it says in the second half of verse 15. 
Trust Jesus. Your sin is taken care of. He's the life in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So first spiritual, I'm not downplaying. There's a physical component here as well. But first spiritual, first spiritual, first spiritual. If we experience physical healing, much like we talked about in verse 13, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. If we experience physical healing, that is a pointer, it is a reminder of our spiritual sickness and our deliverance that comes about in Christ. If we're healed, we should thank God and praise Him for the physical healing, but even more so, the healing that we experience in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because the physical is going away, it's going to die, this body is not going to endure, it's going to perish, right? And if we are not healed, then we should thank God and praise Him for the spiritual healing that has taken place and one day in eternity that which ails us here on earth, that which weighs us down in this physical mortal body will be removed entirely. So take, for example, Matthew chapter 9. I've got time. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read this for us. This is important in understanding what James is writing. Maybe James is present here when Jesus says this, where this takes place, right? This is the story, Mark records this story also, and when, in this story, this is the one where you probably did a felt board as a kid, and, and they lowered the, their friend down through the roof. So Matthew doesn't record that part, but Mark does. Here we go. And getting into the boat, he crossed over, this is Jesus, and he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid to glorify God who had given such authority to men. Jesus tells the man first that his sins are forgiven. First, he deals with his spiritual problem. Very first thing he does out of the gate is deal with the spiritual problem and say, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to rise and walk? It is far more, infinitely more difficult to say your sins are forgiven. It's like wipe clean the slate. Jesus did that right there. He just wiped clean this man's slate and said, eternity is, 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 is for you. So we must too, when we look at this text, when we look at James chapter 5, verses 12 through 20, we must be concerned with the spiritual condition before our physical condition. So a heart that recognizes our dependency on God and Christ's work on our behalf will pray actively. Okay, so then, finally... Prayer comes from a heart of dependency. And then finally, prayer is for the church. We see this here. We see it clearly, I think, in this text. And John Bunyan, I don't know if you know that name. If you heard of the, 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 the book Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote that. Um, incredibly important book. Um, he's a Puritan and an author. He defines prayer like this. This is a long definition, I'm sorry. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. So 
prayer, what I want you to get out of that is a long definition. Prayer is for the church. It is for the church. Jesus enacted what he, taught, what he teaches his disciples to pray. It is for the church. It is for his people. Prayer is certainly given for the good of the church as by rights. Look at verse 16 then again with me. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Jesus, first of all, he says, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins and then pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because this spiritual healing that is so necessary comes through the prayer of faith we just talked about. You see that? Therefore, in verse 16, it tells you to look at the page and to look at the previous verse, the previous section. Right? Therefore, in light of the fact that you have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Earlier, the elders are mentioned as the party to come and pray for you when you're sick. But here James says to confess sins to one another. This is everyone in the church. Every single person in the church. This is not just for a group of elite or a set-apart section of the body. But he tells everyone to confess to one another so that the church might be praying towards spiritual and physical, if, if it's the case, spiritual and physical healing. So this is a corporate activity that we should be doing together regularly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be healed. We all should be praying together for each other regularly. This is what this is pointing us to. So here's the, here's the challenge, though, in this, right? Here's the challenge that's sort of contained within verse 16. And this will, filling our speech with positively with prayer, then will keep us then from the negative examples. But the challenge here lies within the fact that if you're frustrated with someone, if you're frustrated with a neighbor, if you're frustrated with your coworker, if you're frustrated with, with um, your spouse or a family member, or someone here this morning, if you're frustrated in any way, the challenge for us is to pray for that individual every day because of the command that's given to us in verse 16. Those are to be pray for that individual because this is, this is important. Ask God to change first... First, ask God to change your heart towards that person, right? To see them as a created as an image, to understand that what frustrates you about that person is secondary to what you share in common in Christ. They're a son and daughter or daughter of God if they've trusted Jesus. And if they haven't trusted Jesus, ask God that he, to, to see that they have a need to be spiritually healed and to trust Jesus in light of their own sin. This is more important than your personal preferences. This is more important than your self-esteem. This is more important than you living the life that you think that you deserve. And then ask God, in this, then ask God for an opportunity to offer that truth to them. Whenever you're tempted to grumble against someone because of the wrong that you think that they've committed against you, pray instead. So, praying together, filling our speech positively with prayer, and expressing our dependency in God. When we openly confess, like James commands his readers to do in verse 16, when we openly confess our failures to one another, to pray and encourage one another, to live 
lives that are God-honoring, God-glorifying. And then if anyone in the church should doubt the importance of prayer, look at how God worked His will in Elijah's ongoing fervent prayer despite his sin nature like ours. Right? In verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that, he, that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore his fruit. And then James wraps up, sort of abruptly here, he wraps up in verses 19 and 20. Look, for the sake of time, let me sum up here what he says. James is saying, he says, my brothers, if anyone... Uh, among you wanders from the truth and someone breaks him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, James is saying that God chooses to use others in our lives to point us to the truth. That's what he's saying. James, he's saying that God chooses to use others in our lives to point us to the truth. So the question then for us as a people is who are you praying for and who are you pursuing? Who are you praying for and who are you pursuing? I think a lot of times we think about prayer and we think to ourselves, and it, it goes something like this. Dear Lord, bless so-and-so. And then we're done. Right? That happens a lot. I think a lot that happens a lot in our prayer. And so the question that is, is there someone you know who is hurting or someone who, like James says, is wandering? Pray and Secondarily, pray and then go. Is there, or maybe it's you, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're wandering. Pray and find others who can give you truth. If we pray that prayer, bless so and so, are we prepared then as the people to be the blessing that God is going to impart to that individual? Are we prepared for that? Maybe we should pray, bless so and so, instead of saying, so-and-so, we should pray that God would open your heart and, and put in it, put commission you to be an, an individual who has an opportunity to actively be that blessing. When we pray, pray bless so-and-so, look at your week and say, how throughout the course of this week, I'm not talking about giving that person coffee. That's nice. I mean, it can be. It can be, but it needs to be so much more than that. It needs to be the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, pursuing them openly. You might be the means by which God intends to bless them and encourage them in their week. Okay, so concluding thoughts then. Four quick things here. Four quick things for us. Coming out of this text, looking at it, thinking about what it is that's contained here, thinking about the three things that we talked about, the positive speech, the heart of dependency, um, and that praying is prayers for the church in general. Three, four thoughts for you. First, for us to go from here to fill our speech with prayer. To fill our speech with prayer. Again, this is the positive thing that we should be engaging in. Are you frustrated with, frustrated with someone? Do not grumble. Pray for them. And don't, don't pray. Don't do this. Don't pray, God, please help them see how idiotic they're being right now. Because I think sometimes that's where our hearts go, right? If that's your posture, then, then pray that that would be changed. Ask God that you would first understand what's true about that individual. If they have trusted Christ, 
that they are a son or daughter of God, that Jesus shed his blood on their behalf, that God of the universe came down onto earth to die for them so that he could set them apart for himself. And if they don't know Jesus, if a person who doesn't know Jesus, they're created in God's image and that he had made a way for them if they would believe. And pray that those thoughts would overshadow the fact that they let their lawn get a bit long or they chew their lunch really loudly in the cubicle next to you. Or that they just generally rub you the wrong way or don't do things the way that you think that they should be done. So instead of grumble, pray. Or you can concern about something in your day-to-day. Don't worry. Pray instead. Worry comes out in our speech. When you feel your heart being anxious, if it's laboring, step back and pray. So first, fill your speech with prayer. Secondly, admit your dependence. Openly admit your dependence. Openly do it. Make a conscious effort to begin to remove yourself from the equation. See that you desperately need God, that He is providing for you in incredible ways. I would encourage you to do this. If you struggle with dependency, if you struggle to see your dependence on God, start writing a few things down. Just write one thing down a day. Just write one thing down. Something that you're feeling, some activity that you're anxious about, something that you feel like maybe isn't going the way that you want it to. Just write it down. What's going on? Home, work, whatever. Um... Just personally, I've written some things down. When I go back and revisit those things a few months later, I see that there has been movement in those areas in my own heart, right? It might not, you might not see just like this dramatic like outpouring and everything gets resolved and like I, I have this ongoing feud with this family member and all of a sudden it's gone. But you can see actively in your own heart that God is moving you to be an individual who is being shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You look at that and you say, that's not man-made. I didn't conjure that up. That's not something that I did in myself. Writing it down and reflecting on that fact that you're not making the earth spin it on its axis. Write it down with that in your mind. Say to yourself, I am not making the earth spin on its axis right now. And write down what's, what, what, what's on your heart. You're not holding the planets in orbit. You don't even have the ability to tell your heart to keep pumping. Admit your dependence. So first, fill your speech with prayer. Second, admit your dependence. Third, step out of shame. It's hard for us to admit dependence. It really is. It's hard for us, especially in our culture that says, strength, you must be strong. You must, you must operate under this position of strength. We want to appear strong. But there is literally, if we, if we believe the truth that's contained within God's word, there is, there is literally no reason to operate in those terms. There's no reason to. James says to, conf- again, verse 16, James says to confess your sins to one another. Why? Because of the spiritual healing that has taken place in you. There's no shame. Don't hide it. Fight sin. Invite others to pursue holiness with you. Invite the Spirit of Christ to... Bring about Christ-likeness in you. The fact of the matter is, the Bible is very clear, you are not saved by your good deeds. You are not saved by your good deeds. You are saved for them, but you are not saved by them. And if it's not your deeds that saved you, then why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? It is by grace that you have been saved. It's not of yourself. 
Be willing to say, yeah, I, I, I sinned, I messed up this week, I fought with my spouse, I didn't honor my parents, I grumbled against another, I had thoughts about a woman who wasn't my wife, I didn't trust God with my finances, I didn't trust God with my relationships. But you know what? Jesus defeated that sin and death that I deserved. He went, died, I deserved death because of that sin, but I'm free now from it. Not only that, but he gave me his spirit, which gives me the ability to live free from that sin, to go out and to live according to what he has called me to, in complete obedience. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, verses 9 and 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so step out of shame. And then finally, pray to see opportunities. If you're in Christ, pray to see opportunities. Pray to be that blessing. Those are those pray to bless so-and-so. Pray to be the blessing that you desire for them to see. As a church, we are called to be active in one another's lives. We are called to live life together like Mark talked about earlier. The way that God blesses us many times is through others, through others who are uh, firmly fixed in the, the context of the local church, being available to bless others, to be the one who speaks difficult truths to them. If you're grumbling against one another, you will not do this. You will not do it. But if you're regularly praying for others and praying that God would give you opportunities to bless them, God, I promise, God will give you those opportunities. God will give you those opportunities. See, it's the will of God. As believers, we're called the local church. The New Testament has no category for people who fall outside the context of the local church. Go and pray for someone from Buffalo City Church this week. Someone who, in your community group, someone who... You're sitting next to it, don't care who it is, find somebody, pray for them, ask them how they need to pray for them. If you don't know anyone, find someone and ask God for opportunities to bless them by speaking the truth, the good news of who they are or what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. So, just to wrap up here then, four things, right? Fill your speech with prayer. Admit your dependence, step out of shame, and then pray to see opportunities. Okay, so as we close here, I just, just close your eyes. Um, the worship team will come up, and I just want to think through a couple things as we conclude together the book of James. Um, firstly, just with your eyes closed, just think about someone at Buffalo City Church and ask God to bring somebody to mind. Somebody in your community or somebody you're sitting next to you and ask them, Someone who maybe you don't really know all that well. Maybe you don't know much about them. Or maybe you know a lot about them. Just right now in the quietness of your heart, pray that God would give you an opportunity to encourage them or speak truth to them. If that person that comes to mind, your heart's just not there, if you're frustrated with that individual maybe, pray that your heart would change. Should we get there this week with this individual? Now, move to that individual who's irritated you in your mind. 
we're going to get into the nitty-gritty now. Pray that your heart would be changed towards that person, that you'd see them as God sees them. That individual is in Christ, that you would see them as a child of God, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. If they haven't trusted Christ, that God is calling him to themself, to himself. These people that God has brought to mind here in this moment, just pray actively throughout the week. Pray right now that God would bring them up to your mind regularly. That you would pray for those opportunities to bless them by speaking the truth of who they are to them. By just lending a listening ear. Pray that you could love them this week in an active way.